even for just a, a moment in the Batman 89 or, you know, Earth 89, whatever the fuck you want to call it, I would really, really love to see Nicolas Cage yes, as cameo as Superman for just yes. a, a moment. Five you know, seconds. Just give him that fucking scene, please. You know, establish that he is the Superman in the Burton verse and then go ahead and fucking wipe everything clean and we can we can get past it you know but big entropy wave everything like that and he's like i'll save the day and he's got the hair now he can yeah. do it i mean he, he can have the hair whenever he wants he i'm pretty sure he owns a lot of those wigs yeah <laughs> oh man i my buddy my buddy eddie growing up he uh we were in boy scouts together eddie damarino all right i saw a picture of nicholas cage in the 80s <laughs> Before he had his teeth fixed, and before he started losing his hair, beard, my buddy Eddie and Nicolas Cage look exactly alike. Wow. So he's hide from Raising Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, my buddy Eddie is, you know, Nick, he and Nicolas Coppola look remarkably similar. And if Eddie were to get his teeth straightened and whitened and all that shit, just like Nick Cage did, he could make a living as an impersonator if people can't give a shit about that. I, I love it. I love it. I pointed it out to him. He's like, dude, that's fucked up. I'm like, is it? <laughs> you look like Nick Cage. That's, hey, man, I'd, I'd rather somebody told me I look like Nick Cage than fucking Michael Chiklis. You know, <laughs> like, that's my life. <laughs> I get George, I get, uh, I get George Costanza a lot, like not specifically Jason Alexander, George Costanza. Leo, who do you get? Uh, the only thing I got, which I have no idea how, is uh, Ed Sheeran. Choose your hero. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. So what were you saying? Who do you get? Uh, I, I got it out of the blue. Ed Sheeran? Yeah, oh, yeah I can uh, see Sheeran, yeah. I was going to say a young Jake Busey. <laughs> young Jake Busey. I, yeah. I, I, when I was thinner, I got Bruce Willis every once in a while because I, I, I didn't have the beard. It was all, you know, it was a bit more clean shaven. Uh, but then as I started gaining weight, as I got older, people were like, hey, you look like Michael Chiklis. And they're like, hey, you look like a fucking asshole that just said that to me. <laughs> I was a dead ringer for Nick Stahl from, uh, from uh, Disturbing Behavior. 
I am well aware of who Nick Stahl is. He was well, one of the well, main characters, one of my specific one. all-time favorite television shows. Carnival. You yeah. know it. A- a- absolutely. Oh, my God. It fucking hurts my heart just thinking Toby about Huss, that. man. That, that oh, was great. Dude. Yeah, he was yeah. phenomenal in that show. You ever Hardy, seen, Car- you ever seen Carnival, Luke? You no. have no idea what it is? Nope. Oh, dude. Yeah, you'll like it. Oh, listen. It's, it's twisted, Ian. Uh, yeah. Uh, Leo, I called you Ian. Jeez. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you this, Leo. Like, seriously, it was a show on HBO. It's only two seasons. It should have been more. HBO canceled it after the second season. However, if you watch the show, you will love it, and you will hate Justin and I for telling you to watch it and that you will love it. Okay. I hate that that's incredibly true. Because you will never get any more of it. Ever, well, ever, ever. It's kind of like uh, Negan. Uh, the guy that plays Negan, um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, he did a show about a casino in Florida. It was only no one kidding. season. I think it was Showtime. The show friggin' kicked ass, and then it was sounds familiar. That was it. Was it was like one or two seasons. Well, I'll yeah. tell you. I'll tell you, man. Like, like this, Dresden. Yeah. This, this show, dude, it is straight up, and this is no exaggeration. Straight up, epic good versus epic evil and it involves so much more shit than what is just in front of you initially and i'll let you in on a secret and this is not spoiling anything as a matter of fact it might help you because i know a lot of times and justin you probably experienced this too you try not to give too much information because you want people to go on the journey Mm-hmm. But they start in season one, and it takes place in the Dust Bowl in the 30s, all right? So it's not, like, the most vibrant of settings to begin with. The first season is all prologue. Okay. And then you start in the second season, and here's the thing. For for dipshits like us that watch the show, like, we got to the second season, and that's when it, that epiphany hit, like, oh! <gasps> This is the story they're going to tell. <gasps> they just told us all of that so we would know what this is. Motherfucker. And it's phenomenal. It's friggin' brilliant. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I, I actually am getting like goose pimples <laughs> thinking about the show. It's a, it's a good show. I don't know if I'd get that. You no, know, no. It's for, a good show. For me, like I just... I haven't thought about him for like, I don't really, you know, like my God, Clancy Brown. So yep. good. Um, like you said, Nick style is in it. Cleo Duvall, Toby Huss, um, uh, Adrian Barbeau. Uh, what's his name? D- Decay from uh, white collar, Tim, Tim Decay from white collar. I don't know. He played the FBI agent that worked with Matt Bomer's character. Um, he plays oh, okay. Jones. Yep. He plays Jonesy, the carny in it uh, with a bum leg. Uh, my, Oh, wow. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, from Twin Peaks, the, the I can't think of the actor's name. Yeah, um, he he plays the guy that basically runs the carnival, Samson. Um, Samson. Yeah. Patrick Patrick Bacall is in it. Um, Adrian Barbeau is in it. She plays the snake charming woman in the at the carnival. Um, it's so fucking good. She's fantastic. Amy Madigan plays yes, yeah. Clancy Brown's sister in it. Dude, it is just like and and, and what's his face? Um, from Police Academy 4, the one that stepped in for Gutenberg's character. Yeah, um, I always want to call him Charles Rocket, but he he was the Serenity Now guy from uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, he he plays like this uh, this sort of... Rem- that was Police Academy 6, by the way. Was it 6? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Wait, which... Oh my god. Wait, no, wasn't 6? 5 was Miami. Oh, so it was 5. I'm sorry, it was 5 I was thinking of. 
five. Because uh, that's Gutenberg's not in that one. It's yeah, the other, so, it's the so it was guy. five, not six. Yeah, five. Because it was like, it wasn't six. Was six the. No. Mission that, to Moscow? Yeah, I was going to say six Mission to Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's I, the one in space. What? No. You're full I, of it. What? <laughs> Are you for real? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No. Uh, all of them are on Pluther, so I don't. All right, I'll I'll look at. I'll check they they, that they out. should be. They should be. All I know is we lost Tackleberry way too soon. Oh, by the way, write this down, Leo. Uh, Generation X. Oh my God, the series. The, well, the failed pilot that they turned yeah. into a TV movie. Yes. I'm buff. You mean husk, right? No, I mean buff. Buff. Uh, yeah. When did it come out? 1993. 1993. Yeah. <laughs> the two of us. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's a series or a movie? It was yes. a movie. <laughs> it was a TV movie. It starred um, okay. um, F- Finola Hughes. I will. Yeah. From uh, General Hospital. From General Hospital. Yeah, she plays uh, She plays the White Queen in it. Uh, sometimes uh, TV movies are a little hard to find, but I'll, I'll take a look. Yeah, well, I mean, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Godspeed. Okay. I had a hell of a time finding a movie called The Electric Grandmother. If you ever had seen that, I think it was based on a Ray Bradbury story. Jesus, but um, that was like my sister's favorite movie growing up. We had a hell of a time finding the damn thing. I bet. <laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> you got you get Nick Fury agents a shit agent of Shield on there. Like, I would imagine that you'd be able to find Generation X somewhere. <laughs> Does he sing the theme song at the end? You've got to reach out. Wow. Right? Yeah, that's that's all I know though, because that's as much as far as I got into Baywatch. Uh, is Generation X a Marvel? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I will. Uh, I will hunt it down then. Uh, you had mentioned earlier, Brandon, that you were not an X Men kid. I was very much an X Men kid. Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, I was an X Men kid. In, kid, insofar as I would watch the cartoon. I mean, I. I, I had some X Men comics. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I had like when Bishop first showed up and shit. Just I happened to have those comics. You know. Um, but I watched it every Saturday. I had, you know, a couple of the video games. I knew, I knew the stuff I had, I had Marvel treasuries. You know, yeah. The cards and like, and, and, yeah, exactly. I had, I the, had the entirety of the X-Men series one card, um, uh, card collection. It's, but it was just, um, when it came to X-Men, I couldn't get into it on a, like a serially. Uh, and the most I was ever into them was age of apocalypse. I, I buckled down and I collected every single portion of Age of Apocalypse, which for a kid in like sixth grade, that was a lot of fucking work around my house that I did to get that shit. Um, and when I say everything, I mean like everything. I got every every title that they did, every issue, Alpha, Omega, Legion Quest, Cable number 21, which was like kind of in between, I mean, Cable 20, which was part, in a manner of speaking, of Legion Quest, and then Cable 21, which was actually like the first book right after Age of Apocalypse ended. Uh, and then uh, also Age of Apocalypse, The Chosen, which was actually like files that Apocalypse and Sinister kept on different mutants and whether or not they descend or be just like thrown down into the pits. Uh, in X Universe 1 and 2, I mean, like I was all over it, all over it. And then it went back to like normal and I was like, eh, I don't care anymore. I, I can't wait for the um, the Marvel series of figures that's coming out this uh, October. It's going to be the eight, the second wave of Age of Apocalypse where we finally get our Cyclops. So we get Cyclops, um, a saber tooth, because yeah, because we already had a uh, Wild Child, um, um, Kitty Pride, and the build a figure is a giant Colossus. Oh wow, that's so, cool. Yeah, I'm like, and and I mean, giant is like you know, it's like yeah. 
slightly bigger than the rest of them. But I mean, I am all over this. I bought the one that came out like a year ago. They had like Dark Beast and uh, Weapon X and Jean Grey, and nice. they made a Sugar Man. And I ended up selling off the the Sugar Man because I'm like, that thing will give me nightmares. I'm not going to keep it. Yeah, there. I don't like Sugar Man at no, all, and especially like I don't know, I don't he's know children or something. And I'm like, well, ah. yeah, that's like I think the nicest thing that he did to those kids. Yeah, well, like, I, I just it just I'm like, the, I'm, the, the, they they did a great job with writing Generation Next in the Sugar Man character because they never explicitly said what it was he was doing to these kids. But these kids all lived in like absolute terror from him, and it wasn't like they were afraid for their lives. Which you know, it's like what that was else? Lobdell, right? Like uh, yeah, Scott Lobdell. Scott Lobdell yeah. Which I mean, talk about it's such an amazing fucking story arc in, in series idea all together, and then just to find out like the, the dude's kind of a fucking piece of shit in real life, like, it's fucking disheartening. I, I wonder, like, when it turned that way for him. Was it always that way, or did it turn that way? I don't know, man. It just sounds like he, he maybe it wasn't always that way, and he just got more comfortable with his position in the industry and stuff, and he just started acting like a fucking garbage human being. I don't know. It just sucks because he's had like such a fair amount of success, not just in comic books. I mean, you guys know that he wrote and created Happy Death Day, right? No, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, yeah Scott Lobdell, the comic book writer, he wrote the movie Happy Death Day. He created it. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and Happy I, Death I, Day. I knew Jeff like, Loeb did um, Commando and Teen Wolf. Yes, Joseph yeah. Loeb the third. Um, but yeah, like he, he did that and you know, he, he, the first movie happy death day is a lot of fun. It's really, it's, it's creative and you know, sort of that groundhog day spin on, on the horror trope. It, it was, I enjoyed it tremendously. And then I, the sequel came out and I was like, you know, I really like the first one. This is going to be great. And then I finished watching the second one. I was like, this was a fucking horror show of a different variety. I wish I had fucking gone blind before we started watching it. It was <laughs> so, so bad. I, um, I liken the sequel to the first movie escape plan. It was a, uh, escape room uh, that, that I saw like that horror movie escape room. I oh. have yet to check that out. Actually that first movie, like it's, it's creative in so far as like the, the rooms that they're in, but it, otherwise there's like, a new escape room movie that just, yeah. Came out. They, well, that's the thing. They made a sequel and it has like a couple of the same kids from the, huh. the first one that survived, but the the end of the first movie it is just so blatantly a whole world set up and they're like we're clear we're gonna make so many sequels to this movie and i'm like it just it brought everything to a screeching halt like everything that they had just gone through to like beat the bad guy at the end it just it just undercut everything because now it's like oh there's this the huge worldwide organization that's gonna come <laughs> at like, you and it's like i was like john wick three you know where it's like guess what john now the world's against you well that's why i don't like either one of those sequels i i, I don't think that john wick <laughs> needed to be expanded upon i think I think if they had just left it as one movie, it would be fine and stand the test of time forever and ever. And sometimes it's okay to just leave a thing alone, let it be that. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like uh, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine with the fact that there was only one of those movies. 
if there had been more, it would detract away from how good the first that that movie is. You get what I'm saying? Isn't um isn't uh Tremors a direct sequel? <laughs> Sorry, that was not, a real. That was I, a I real question. Not, I did not expect tremors to come out of your fucking mouth just then. I probably should have. No, yeah. no, it's uh, the crow. The crow salvation is the direct sequel. Uh yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So good. That's I up mean, there with Highlander: The Raven. Yeah. Is, is it? No, it's it's. I. You know what? It's I such, such a horrible idea for a spinoff. Like. Why wouldn't you do something with fucking Mythos? Like the most interesting character in the entire show. She she's got a rapier though. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's that oh rapier. Like a yeah, yeah. Never, I was just never, talking about Scott, never Scott mind. Again. I thought it was like a, I thought it was like a French rapist, my bad. <laughs> oh Jesus. Fail is everywhere. <laughs> oh, we're live. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, on on that note, powerful Brandon, why don't why don't you kick us off? Hey, everybody, welcome to Comics Paradox, where we'll be talking about uh, alternate reality stories. This week, we will be covering What If number 13 from uh, 1989, uh, which is What If Professor X of the X-Men, that is Charles Xavier, had become the Juggernaut. Uh, And joining me tonight, uh, as always, is Leo Pond and, oh, yep, that's right. Say hi, Leo. Say hello. Hi. Hello. Yeah, that's right. And now we're going to go to Justin Cooper. Say hi to everybody, Justin. Hello, hello uh, everyone. All right, tone it down a little bit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we, we all read this, uh, this comic in preparation for this evening's uh, episode. And um, we did, I did not realize when I picked this, uh, I told these guys to check this out. Uh, our last episode covered uh, Superman's Secret Identity. Uh, for DC Comics, which was written by Kurt Busiek. And uh, this issue of what if uh, Professor X of the X-Men had become the Juggernaut is also written by Kurt Busiek. Yes. Uh, I don't think that it's indicative necessarily of me having a particular bend <laughs> towards uh, a writer, but, I mean, quality writing is quality writing, and this is a, this is a different type of story. I just want to point out that this cover is some Jim Lee artwork that yes. is right around the time that he was taking over X-Men. So it kind of like led into that aspect. And this is a really cool cover for a what if book. It is. And honestly, I, I mean, not to disparage anything else happening within the pages. It's the best artwork of the book. <laughs> like there's, there's some good pieces in there and, and it's like, it's definitely a, a Marvel house style of the nineties. Like uh, in the, I, I say nineties, even though it's an 89 book, because it kind of, it is of that style, you know, like a Rick Leonardi sort of vibe to it, but it's, it's not bad art. Like it's, it's decent. It's no, just like, it's very house style. It's yeah. It's not terrible, but, but the, the lines are a lot cleaner and crisper. I mean, everything stands out uh, that, that cover is, it, it, it really just drives home the idea like, wait a minute. So those are X-Men, but the juggernaut and you're like, Oh, okay. So I guess he's still going to form some kind of group. What's in store for Chuck? <laughs> yeah. How come he didn't call himself the Chuck or not? Because he has no time for fucking around, Justin. Yeah, okay? apparently not. There's no time for jokes when you're trying to work on peaceful cohabitation with humankind on planet Earth. He also doesn't have time for his own neck. So. Well, I mean, 
I mean, juggernaut, you, just, you have no time for next. It's just go, go, go. Man can't be, stu- man can't be stopped. So, yeah, um, uh, that bald head just... Yeah, it's it's tough to tell Xavier from Uatu the Watcher at times. It's tough to tell Xavier from a fucking shaved-headed Kane Marco at times. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're half-brothers, so, you know, you, you I, would probably make them look alike. I think they're step-brothers, actually. Are they? Uh, I, thought, I thought they had, like, the same father. No, I'm pretty sure that they're step-brothers, that uh, Charles Xavier's mother married Kane Marco's father. There you go. I, I think. Don't quote me on that, but you can quote me on the don't quote me. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, uh, we we get we we start off getting some some views of what the world is currently like. Uh, we see that some of uh, our familiar mutant friends, uh, such as like Cyclops and Colossus and uh, Scarlet Witch, and in the still living Thunderbird. Uh, yes, he, he was not killed as he was uh, early on in the X new all new X Men Adventures. Uh, they are showing up to kind of pick on some humans that are hanging around, uh, at, you know, at night, like after curfew or some such business. And, um, you know, they're ready to lay the smack down uh, for the most part. And Cyclops has to step in and be like, whoa, hold on. Like, just tell them that they're out too late. You don't have to fucking murder them. And uh, kind of gives you an idea of what humankind's place is in this world versus mutant kind uh, and how the balances shift considerably from what we know in uh, the 616 uh, proper Marvel Universe. Absolutely. And uh, one thing that you'll notice about this book is the absolute absence of Wolverine, which is probably a pretty dangerous thing to do at this time, seeing as how Wolverine was on literally the cover of every other book, much as like Deadpool or Harley Quinn are now. But um, it, it kind of shocked me. I'm like, wow, the choices that they made with these characters have John Proudstar and Cyclops and, uh, you know, Colossus with a little bit of a beard and all that. Nightcrawler shows up, but they didn't add in Wolverine. thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do it. What do you think about that, Leo? Uh, that they didn't have Wolverine? Ooh. Yeah, it's uh, he was definitely missed. Uh, but I was a little shocked about how they handled a lot of the other superheroes uh, later on in the book. You know what, what they did to Fantastic Four, and you know just the 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 stupid trope with Spider Man. We're gonna tell Aunt May. Oh no, she'll die. It's the one thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess that just shows his maturity too. Like, um, you know, it's like. What would be the worst thing to happen to like a sixteen-year-old kid? Don't tell on me. Yeah. He's literally killing people, dude. Mind wipe <laughs> your girlfriend, maybe? Like, I don't know, just like something more fucked up. Like, yeah. And uh, uh, bankrupt uh, Howard uh, or not Howard Stark, oh, but Tony Stark. Uh, Tony Stark. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, drive him to alcoholism. I mean, like, even even sooner even with sooner, no support yeah. system. Yeah. Oh. That was that was like the easiest leap to make in this entire thing where it's like, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he didn't even need a push. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't get uh, Cyclops's helmet there. I mean, that's just like, it's it just strange. so bizarre. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting take. It looks like a Nova helmet, but yeah. it also has like these sort of um, like out, outliers, like a Galactus mixed with Nova. So kind of like that. But um, the weird thing about it is he needs to adjust that visor. So if that thing at all moves or spins on him, he's going to have a problem. Yeah. So, But he's yeah. Cyclops, so he probably plans for each contingency. So, you know. Sure, sure. He's the Batman of the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, 
I, I do like in this one, and, and we'll get to it a little bit later, is that uh, they actually bring out some of the good, like, pre-character assassination um, Cyclops stuff like that that uh, Claremont was really working on. Um, they bring that out, and you're, you actually get to see who this character is, and it rings very true to who he is throughout comics throughout the decades. So I, that's one thing I really liked about this. Yeah, he's a compassionate leader. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. no matter, and that's one of the things I found most impressive about Scott Summers in this story is even though so much of the tutelage that Charles Xavier had provided had changed, like the what was being taught, not just how, um, it still didn't work its way into the point where it changed Scott Summers' like heart. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he still genuinely wanted peace between humans and mutants. Like saying like there really shouldn't be a difference between us. Like this is ridiculous. And even in this instance where they're the ruling class and they can do whatever they want with with impunity, he's still trying to corral in these these mutants that work for and with him and say like listen. You can you can be an authority and tell them like to follow the rules, but to go past that, you're gonna become monsters. Don't do that shit. You you you're gonna be just as bad as they were when we were the ones that they were subjugating. So don't be that guy. And no one fucking cares. Like no one wants to listen to him. And that's what pushes him ultimately to make the moves he does in this story. And Jean Grey, it just proves the point that nobody knows how to write her, and she's just she may as well be a lamp, you know, in, in this. And, and that's just kind of indicative of a lot of stories that involve the character where she doesn't really have much to add other than being like, oh, she's Scott's girlfriend or wife, and, you know, they have kids and stuff. And it's like, what else are they really doing? There's no depth of character there whatsoever. Yeah, she yeah she's she's very I mean I know we're talking about comics she's very like one dimensional there's oh incredibly no Lorna too like um, Lorna's like oh I'll go wherever Havoc goes okay great that's all I need to know about you, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean really it is like like sometimes with these characters you get like frustrated because it's like until like Peter David gets a hold of of a character like Lorna Dane then it's like you don't really have anything you know what does she want what does she like what are her motivations or anything like that I'll go wherever Havoc goes I'll do this. Well, quite a motivation then. Yeah, Ooh. it's like, okay, great. You know, and, and similarly with Jean Grey, it's like she's at least, you know, like the second most powerful psychic entity on the planet had the Phoenix Force. Do we know that she had the Phoenix Force because of this? Like, they don't even go into that aspect. Like, did any of that not, like, did it just not happen? Like, um, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga and all that? Like, I was looking forward to this and I'm like, is this going to be Madeline Pryor as opposed to Jean Grey? You know, because um, Madeline Pryor is the one that he actually had a child with. And in this one, it, it's very different. So in this world, we don't have the Dark Phoenix either. Yeah, I mean, considering the changes that occurred due to both Charles Xavier's absence, um, which, you know, is explained when he receives the Ciderac gem during uh, the Korean War uh, instead of his stepbrother, Kane Marco, uh you know his absence and then his sudden emergence as the juggernaut um when you think about certain things like uh the age of apocalypse and how you know he he kind of showed up because as he was watching this battle take place in the past for present for him that is apocalypse uh you know he's like wait this this is throwing my timetables off we weren't supposed to see this stuff for like another 30 years well i guess we'll have to shift everything time to subjugate humanity people 
<laughs> and I think, you know, in, in this instance, like there was very little done for consolidating any kind of mutant power. And I think maybe if Charles Xavier, you know, the juggernaut, whatever, hadn't been there when Magneto did his thing uh, going at Cape, oh my God, um, Citadel. Cape Citadel is what they call it in Marvel instead of Cape Canaveral. Um, Cape Citadel and, and attacking and trying to go for the missiles there. Well, with no X-Men to stop him, and it's just the Fantastic Four, then he's like the only mutant that anyone ever sees. So therefore, all mutants must be evil, according to every you know, according to this story. And uh, and that's it, not a far leap. Like I, I bought that. I'm like that makes that makes. Well, sense. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I kind of felt like Apocalypse in in an instance like this, like what we know of in just like the regular comics. He may have very well have seen Magneto and be like, maybe now is the time. And as soon as the Juggernaut showed up and no one could fucking stop him and he was an immensely powerful being that no one could figure out his weakness, Apocalypse was, was probably like, or not. And just, you know, kept kept far away. Like, you don't see anything about N. Sabaner in any of the stuff that occurs over the years within this comic book. You know, and, and there's there's no... Obviously, no cable, but there's no Mister Sinister. None of yeah, that. Yeah, I was surprised there's no Sinister. To be honest with you, like yeah. I was, I was looking in here and I'm like, are we going to see Sinister in the shadows or something? Because that's even like if if you go to like the twenty was it twenty twelve or twenty fifteen they had um, Secret Wars, right? Oh, yeah. And even then, you know, you had Sinister scheming behind Doctor Doom, who became like God Doom. You know, you still had Sinister scheming. So it's it's something. It's always going to happen. And I'm like, if he was here, that would have been such a cool little thing where it's like, oh, he's here and he's going to lead the resistance against um, Xavier, you know, and I I thought that would have been that would have been fun, too. Yeah. But, you know, and that's fine. I mean, you can still the fun thing about what ifs is, you know, even when you get to the last page of this issue, it doesn't mean some of that stuff still can't happen, Mm -hmm. you know, especially considering what occurs within the confines of this issue. Um you could make a case for that occurring after after everything we read. You know, you can make your own headcanon. Um, that's that's the fun of these. Like, oh, look! Uh, they yeah, the, the coloring. Cyclops's uh, costume in the upper left panel of of that page because it's supposed to be blue and yellow. I do like how we see Firestar here, like getting um, getting punched out by uh, Scarlet Witch. You know, so <laughs> Spider-Man and his amazing friends and all that. So she uh, she was a mutant. That's that's kind of cool. Sauron uh, is here. Mesmero, the Vanisher. Um, another really interesting thing is I thought the first read-through, I thought that was Puck, but it was actually Beast until you get to the end. And I'm like, why is Puck here from <laughs> Alpha Flight? And they're like, oh, it's Beast. That's Hank. I'm like, he just looks like Puck. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's uh, one of the one of the kids that they reprimand, one of the mutants that they reprimand uh, earlier in the issue is uh, Speedball. Yeah, I noticed that too, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think one of them is actually Nightcrawler as well. Uh, Nightcrawler shows up at one point in his costume. Yeah. Oh, does he? Okay, then yeah. It, it threw me off because they were blue and had you know just a couple of fingers and thumb. The the cool thing about this though is they take an idea about the Juggernaut who is all forward motion, momentum, moving, nothing can stop him. And they stop him because he can't get started. And he gets buried for, what, like 30-something years underneath all of this rock? Yep. And I'm like, that's that's a really smart way to handle why all of this happened. Now, oh, was, yeah. was that so, – so I don't know the history of the Juggernaut. Was that part of his, his history? Did that actually happen? 
Yes. Uh, what what happened was in the Korean War, um, Kane Marco dived into a, a cave, and he was basically, uh, you know, abandoning his post. Uh, you know, it would have been seen as an act of treason and cowardice. Yeah. Uh, but while he was in this cave, he saw the Ciderac gem, but then heavy artillery hit it and the cave collapsed and it collapsed in on him and it, it was, it crushed him and his, it, you know, the gem managed to like land on his hand or he was able to reach for it in his last like breaths. And because of that, the Ciderac gem transformed him into the juggernaut and then he had to work his way out from, from all of that rubble and what have you. Uh, and that's why in the Marvel Universe 616, if the gem, well, for the longest time at any rate, uh, if the gem had, was taken from Kane Marco at all, he would revert right back to what he was uh, in the cave and be like on his deathbed. He would go comatose and oh, wow. you know have collapsed lungs and all kinds of shit. Yeah, so it was important for him to have the Ciderac gem, not just so he could have the power, but because he didn't want to die. Yeah. I find it interesting since he was a evil character or a bad guy, essentially that, you know, uh, he, he was granted his powers during an act of, of cowardice. You know, I, I found that inter interesting. Claremont, Claremont writes juggernaut differently than, than a lot of guys. And it's different here too. Claremont describes juggernaut. He's not a bad guy. He's an asshole. He's a loud mouth. He's, he's a braggart. He's all of those things. And we see a ton of that here. But he's not an evil person. Like he'll rob a bank, but he won't just like kill a guy. Even even in this, he's not he's not a bad guy, um, and and not just because of the virtue of the fact that we we've juxtaposed and had Professor Xavier as like you know the main antagonist. Uh, it's the fact that it really drives home, and this is something I've always truly believed. Uh, Kane Marco, I don't I I never thought he was a, an evil person. I think he was always just willing to align himself with whoever else wanted to fuck with his stepbrother. Yep. It was just petty. That's all it was. You know, he, he honestly like in, he, and he's a hedonist, you know, he, he didn't give a shit about mutants. Like, and not even like in a, in a bad way, not like, you know, fuck mutants. He's like, I don't care about mutants. Like I'm not going to fuck with them, but I am going to fuck with that mutant because he's a dickhead. Like, you know, it, it was more about Charles Xavier um, kind of living this, like, ch you know, charmed life while they were growing up side by side. And uh, the, part of that is because Kane was kind of always seen as more of a, a, a dirt dummy meathead. And Charles was always viewed as, like, this nice, polite, incredibly smart boy. Uh, so they were they were definitely treated very differently, and he was very resentful of it because honestly, his his father was a, you know kind of rough with him, and never at all with with Charles. Um, so there was a lot of resentment growing up, and you know when he finally got some power, and he knew that Charles was a mutant, and uh, you know he he got he got a taste of something too. He's like, well, <laughs> what do I do with this? I know I'm gonna go I'm gonna screw it, chuckles. I'll do that. And that's how he basically, you know, hooks up with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which is actually a, a welcome change that the movie's brought. I'm very glad that they dropped the word evil. <laughs> yeah. Like, it who just... the fuck goes around calling themselves evil? No, no, nobody wants to see themselves as evil. You know, I mean, and Magneto doesn't see himself as evil. 
No. And, and it, it, this it's... version of Magneto that we see here is pre X Men two hundred, where he was like actually de aged, and then and then um, you know he like lost all his memories and stuff. And that's how they worked on getting him to be like an actual character that was more of like a gray area area like anti hero. So so from like Star Wars, it's from a certain point of view. Yeah, sure thing. It's it's uh it's all subjective or yeah. You know, <laughs> How familiar with like uh, Juggernaut stories are you, you guys? Um, have you ever read um, X Men two seventeen where um, Juggernaut meets Dazzler? Oh uh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. So th- another good example. Like he didn't want to necessarily kill Dazzler, but Dazzler's like, oh, I'm a superhero, so I've got to fight the Juggernaut and all that. Like like uh, she bumps into him with with her car and all that, and uh, they're out in the middle of nowhere. He's a huge fan of Dazzler because she's like a disco musician yeah she's a disco queen yeah so so he's like oh i got your records you know everything like that and and she's like back off creep and all that and he's like he's like you know just trying to get like an autograph or something like that and she's not having any of it that's kind of a dick move on her part (laughs) yeah like she she's being like like she's knows as like an x-men that like he's bad news and stuff like that he's just trying to be like like a fan and all that but he's like aggressive and, and like like hey give me uh give me an autograph and she's like no and she's like blasting him and shit so he ends up taking her and like burying her under like a bunch of rocks so she'll be able to get out but it's like she can't make any noise and her power is based on sound waves turning into light so you know it's just like this crazy story where you see juggernauts not trying like he could have crushed her at any point if he wanted to but he didn't you know, he, he gave her a way to get out so he could get away from whatever, like, robbery or something that he was doing, something like that. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't, like, trying to be a murderer. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's not he, – yeah. He, he, he's, not, he's not a killer. He, he, he's, not, he's not, like, vicious. You know, it was, it was more just like a, you know, I want to do what I want to do, and, you know, now that I have this, you can't stop me from doing it. Yeah, and, and there's a great story with Spider-Man, too, if you ever get a chance to read that one, where Spider-Man tries to stop Juggernaut. And he I think just, I actually have read that when yeah, I was a kid. He just cannot stop Juggernaut, and he's just, like, trying everything, and it's just like this this uh, exercise in futility. And, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's like, how does Spider-Man commiserate with the fact that he's just out of his freaking league, and he's just trying to, you know, save the day, and he cannot well, I mean, just quip your way through it, I suppose. Just yeah, yeah, as, as best you can. Just you know, just be satisfied with the fact that you can swing through the skyline of New York City with all of your superpowers. Cry yourself to sleep while thinking about your hot redheaded supermodel girlfriend. Uh, I guess he does have, have a pretty good life. Yeah, <laughs> I have a hard fucking time feeling bad for Spider-Man ever. <laughs> like, like, oh, I'm sorry that your that your your parents died that you barely remember, but then also your father figure was killed because you were an irresponsible shithead. Whoopsie. You know, like, I, I I'm sorry. Like, that sucks, dude. You did it though. <laughs> like, at least Batman. Like, I can say this much for Bruce. There was nothing he could do to stop his parents from getting killed. Peter Parker. If he had just not been a dickhead for two more seconds, his uncle would probably well, that's, be alive. Well, that's character growth for you, too. That's that's one of the interesting uh, changes. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say that's character growth. It's certainly a, a raison d'etre uh, for him. But there's really not much past that for a very, very long time. That's that's it. It's just guilt and constantly worrying about whether or not his Aunt May will find out and still whining internally about all the things he has to do. So you're, you're suggesting there should be a what if Spider-Man was not a dick? 
Yeah, I mean, what, what <laughs> we, Spider-Man we, we, was we already like have that. Baby. We 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 already have that. It's uh, Raimi uh, Spider-Man because oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, because uh, uh, Sandman killed Uncle Ben. It wasn't the uh, the robber. Oh, the retcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Uncle Ben was still out looking for Peter. That's why he got oh. killed. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine then. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter. Peter. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're suggesting that a teenager be responsible for their own actions? I mean, come on. This is this is heresy. <laughs> wow, my kids weird. are all asleep, right? Yeah, okay. it's how it works in my fucking house. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what it was like for you guys growing up. But, uh, but yeah, regardless of all that, um, yeah, Peter, Peter, Spider-Man up against Juggernaut, that's a hell of an uneven match. Uh, but speaking about making sure that matches stay uneven, this particular Juggernaut powered by Professor X's telepathy is uh, particularly and brutally effective with just nullifying any opposition to him whatsoever. Yeah, and I got a little confused about that because I, I thought they said that uh, during his time he couldn't really build up his powers, but yet his telepathy and, and mind-reading skills were, were quite quite powerful. Oh, you know what? I don't think I... I don't think I caught that. Unless hmm. I unless I read it wrong. His his powers manifested by the time he had enlisted into the army. So he definitely had them at that point. Yeah. Um what we're missing out is while he was in the cave after his stint in the war is when he met up with like Eric Lencher and, and Magneto. And so that's like that whole point after that. Juggernaut's powers are based on momentum. Like he always has strength, and he always has the uh, invulnerability and all that. But like his his like forward momentum that's supposedly can't be stopped. You know, until we get to like onslaught and all that in the '90s, who literally just hits him across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, that was those. That that, I remember that too. That splash page. <laughs> that yeah, that one. was a bad one, because it's like, oh, who's this guy? Post. Oh, wow. And then it's like onslaught shows up, and it's like, yeah, he just wrecked the juggernaut yeah it was impressive uh, it was. i'll say that uh, i mean i wish the rest of heroes reborn had been but you know it is what it is the art was good also jim lee cover on the uh fantastic four book yeah yeah rob liefeld did a lot of good work on that you remember his captain america from that bullshit holy hell muscles on <laughs> muscles on muscles yep you too can have a pectoral muscle that has a bicep for some reason <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I um, I am and have been critical of a lot of like Liefeld art and stuff like that. But there is probably a lot more of his Marvel stuff and and like stuff like Hawk and Dove and all that that I really enjoyed. So it, as much as like I, I you know say that he's got like a lot of bad uh, art out on, there, hold on, hold I on. like stuff right that there, he did on. as well. Real quick, Leo, at the bottom of the page on the left. In Korea, Xavier's mental powers keep him aware of events as they transpire. So he was definitely able to sense what was happening in the outside world. He, he might have just, you know, not had time to work on the stuff like the way that it, it had gone for a while, too, was that Magneto, uh, Eric and Charles actually kind of helped each other with figuring out how to like hone their powers a bit more. Um, so maybe that's part of the vital process in that frame of time that would have enabled him to be super sharp initially, but considering once he got out, he probably, he probably was able to develop at a, at a rapid pace. I, okay. I wouldn't be surprised because he did develop Cerebro as well. Yeah. With, yeah. with, um, Magneto's help initially. 
So, yeah, so at least that was the retcon story. Yeah, but he did. But I'm saying, like in this book, in this, he still he has a cerebro that he uses. So I mean, so it, so, so this is where I took it from, and actually rereading it now, it, yeah, it, it's it could be taken either way because uh, underneath that. Uh, but he is too far away and robbed a years of training. His powers are too weak to do more than watch and horror. Uh, yeah. So that's him at that time. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So once he actually had, like, minds around him that he could, like, read and rifle through and kind of practice all that stuff with, it makes sense that he'd be sharp. And also, you know, he can do it to whomever he wants at any point in time because he's the fucking juggernaut. Like, who's going to stop him? Yeah. So, guys, that part with the Fantastic Four, where the Fantastic Four showed up to chase off Magneto, do you think that there is legitimately any difference between how people see the Fantastic Four and how they see mutants? Yes. Do I, I'm not so convinced of that because it seems like they're kind of one and the same in this circumstance. Well, were, I, they were astronauts, though. They were. Yeah, they you were, have to. You have to understand. They were made, for, you know, for lack of a better term, they were made celebrities yeah. by virtue of the the era, the the period in time that that they came about. I mean, the whole thing about them being astronauts for an experimental flight and then developing these powers. I mean, really, when you look at it, the only one of them that ever really had any issues with fitting back into society was Ben Grimm because he looked so monstrous. Uh, but otherwise everybody loved Reed, John, especially Johnny and, and Sue. So I think, I, I think they saw them as like sort of Americana, like American superheroes, like, you know, something that, that every American could become if, if they just worked hard and got their own experimental space plane. <laughs> But uh, with with mutants, you know, it was this born and bred thing, and because it wasn't as easily digested as you know, space team gets bombarded by cosmic rays and gets powers. Like this is like, oh, they're born with them, but like how? But why certain people and then not others? How come? How come this kid has it, but his sister doesn't, or vice versa? And then you get to the point where the mutations start to become more than just uh, power manifestations, but they could be physical manifestations when you spikes, beaks, so on and so forth. So it's, it's a lot more frightening, I think, to the potential for a, a kid to be born and like you don't know what's going to happen either way. And if they do develop into such a thing, it's easy to, to see them as uh, something inhuman or, or monstrous instead of, you know, maybe a kid that really fucking needs help figuring out this strange thing happening to their body. Wonderful see, that's the thing. That's the thing that Marvel does a lot too. And then they tried to, um, when they sold off the movie rights for X-Men to Fox and all that, they tried to shove the inhumans down our throats. And it's like, that's a good story for a foil for Fantastic Four and all that, getting into that, but it's not a substitute for mutants. You know, and it never has been and never will be. Like yeah. Black Bolt is as interesting as his stories will allow, and then you move on because he's not that compelling of a character, actually. He's just like, oh, this is a good foil for let's put him up against the Hulk. Or yeah. let's put him up against and he's always been a stepping stone character. Like, wow, he can level level a mountain with a word. But, you know, he's kind of like, you know, the tier guy that you're going to fight to get to the next level. So. Yeah. But, but you know, the 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 thing about dealing with, with all this, especially bringing up the Fantastic Four, I mean, you would think, especially because they, they bring up the Fantastic Four um, as the ones to stop Magneto, the whole Magneto triumphant story from, from back then. 
Um, and Charles Xavier uses his telepathy to combine, you know, the minds of Reed Richards himself, uh, the research he had done on trying to help Ben uh, revert back from the thing, uh, Dr. Doom, Morbius, and uh, I would, I, I think that's either Bruce Banner or Hank Pym. Are you sure it's not Dr. Peter Corbeau, the, uh, the astronaut scientist? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I was um, I was thinking Hank Pym to be honest with you, just uh, based Hank, on. Hank, okay, yeah, Hank Pym. That may okay. That I I figured it had to be one of them. Um, but to combine like their their thoughts, like to read all their minds and be able to discern and and disseminate all the info he would need, and then just creates a fucking spray gun and just takes out the mutates known as the Fantastic Four. And none of them have any powers, and Ben Grimm is completely normal again forever. And that's it. Threat gone. Adios. You're done. The, the, does, you know, Sue, does Sue Richards even have any lines in this? No. I don't <laughs> think so at all. Yeah. Yeah, nothing. And then he does the same exact thing to everyone else. You know, he does it yep. to Bruce Banner and, and Matt Murdock. Uh, he drives Tony to early alcoholism by bankrupting his company. He threatens Spider-Man with telling Aunt May that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are one of the same. Oh, no, that'll kill her. <laughs> you know, and uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, and he shrinks Giant Man and the Wasp into sub-microscopic space, like, forever. Uh, Captain America stays frozen. Thor is so, so, Asgard. So it says, and Captain America was once again imprisoned. Oh, once again. Okay, I'm sorry. So, it's like the only time we see Cap in this entire comic. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, so he obviously was free, and what, he just put him back in ice? Yeah, I mean, when Bobby Drake is one of your fucking pupils, it's pretty easy to freeze people, I'm guessing. <laughs> I think he's dead by now. Probably. Uh, here's one thing I found funny, though, because like for a long time, even at the point that they did this comic, you know, it says Prince Namor, the Submariner, busy with undersea matters, escaped the Juggernaut's attention. Uh, Namor's a mutant, and and they didn't know that then. So that was that was like one of those things that hadn't happened yet. Well, yeah, I mean, technically, same with so, uh, Scarlet Witch. So and, I guess um, it's good that he escaped the Juggernaut's attention because if he had if he had paid attention, the Juggernaut would have just been like, oh, he's a mutant. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, technically speaking, that's how it would go down from what we know now. Um, and the fact that he just basically crushed Dr. Doom in his armor like a fucking empty soda can. Like, that's it. Doom's done. Threat and if, if you look at Marvel now, right, like where we are, like not the, the Marvel Now books, but like Marvel where we are right now, you would be seeing how, um, you know, like the post House of M uh, Scarlet Witch is like the most powered up character and all that and how she could possibly defeat the Juggernaut and all that. And I like that this doesn't buy into that garbage because I think that's a craft storyline, like making her this huge, like almost all powerful MacGuffin. You know, it's like, OK, so the Phoenix Force was this huge thing, but all along Scarlet Witch has that. I just don't buy it. I thought it was Agatha all along. Yeah, it should have been. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would have made more sense. So, I mean, but, uh, I don't. I don't mind them kind of playing with um, Scarlet Witch's powers and and kind of the whole Nexus being thing. Um, I didn't mind House of M, but once again, I also you know I, I I, I get a hard on for alternate reality stories. Well, so. I like I like House of M. I don't like the idea that Scarlet Witch is is supposedly like the most supreme powerful being in in like the universe. I don't buy it. 
you know? Okay. And if you look at things like like the Ultimates, where literally she was killed in like the first episode or um, or the issue, it's like, easy okay. to think of that as episodic, though. Yeah. I get it. No, I could I could definitely see that because it reads like a reality show that mm-hmm. that uh, Ultimates three, but um. You know, I like in this one, it's like she's just down to earth and it's like this is like right before she gets into force works in in like the Marvel Universe. So it's like, okay, it's we're still playing up that they don't even know that they're supposedly Magneto's kids. And you've got Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and all that. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, Um, there's your Nightcrawler. I I was going to say that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just wanted to bring up there's a ton of characters in this and uh i i do have the the wiki up uh Ooh, cool so um the renegade x-men are colossus cyclops quicksilver scarlet witch and gene summers fantastic four obviously thing human torch mr fantastic invisible girl juggernauts x-men is unis thunderbird magneto kane marco Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is Toad, the Blob, Beast, Angel, Nightcrawler, Iceman, Bobby Drake, and his death. Uh, also for Juggernaut's X-Men, Callisto, Mesmero, Mystique, yep. Polaris, Caliban, Pyro, Havoc, Banshee, Changeling, Sauron, Sunfire, Frenzy, Vanisher, and Mastermind. The Buzz Boys are Cornea, Bubbles, Topper, and uh, other unnamed Buzz Boys. Well- Bubbles, huh? Bubbles. Uh, That's definitely speedball, man. I'm yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, the Summers family was uh, Rachel Summers, Christopher Summers, and Philip Summers. Uh, you also had the Sentinels, Doctor Doom with his death, Morbius, Tony Stark, Peter Parker as Spider-Man, Hulk, Daredevil, Wasp, Giant Man, Captain America, Steve Rogers, Thor, Namor, Ords, Ordinary Humans. Uh, Awatu and Aunt May was mentioned. <laughs> oh no, it'll kill her. And the neat thing about this too is that they took some of the very early 1960s characters like Unis the Untouchable was in I think like the eighth issue or something like that of X-Men. And um, like the Vanisher, the Vanisher's mentioned in here. He was in X-Men number two. So it's like, oh, and then he's like never seen again until he comes back in like the pages of X-Factor you know, or X-Force or something like that. So it's like, oh, it's kind of interesting that they bring back these characters. And and you see that in other books like The Exiles, how they take back uh, Calvin Rankin, who is a uh, mimic. Oh, my God. He's he's badass, man. He's just Yeah, cool. like that's, that's such a great way to like do a character like that. I mean, we will touch upon The Exiles at some other point in this in this uh, show. But, uh, I mean, the, the, the fact that they took a character uh, mimic from what we knew – in the 616 just kind of a third rate villain uh but then to spin that and when he he's part of the exiles team he's from a reality where he actually joined the x-men mm-hmm. and it turns out he was he was very naturally um worked his way towards being their leader and when you when you finally take a look at what his powers are that he can hold up to five powers of you know five different powers but half the capacity of what the the original you know owners would would be able to use them at, uh, that's pretty fucking powerful, man. And just like the shit that he does and how effective. I mean, it's it's like Cyclops if he had a few more powers when you when you read him in Exiles, and that's 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 not a rub, man. It's yeah, like, no, I agree with that absolutely. He was great. I loved everything that Judd Winnick did with with that fucking series. But I mean, I, I'm like a huge Judd Winnick fucking nerd anyway. Um, but yeah, like you, 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 you get, you get to touch on stuff like that. Um, 
and when we when we see when we see these these differences here man uh makes you kind of think that sometimes it wouldn't be a bad idea for some of these writers in what we know now like the the regular universe to be given a little bit more leeway to try to actually like change characters around you could do a redemptive arc for a villain like like calvin in 616 like why the fuck not I think that what they would probably do is find a way to pull him out because they did that with the Exiles. They gave him their own series afterwards. They think they even pulled out like a manga version of like uh, of like uh, Wolverine or or X twenty three or something. A baby, baby Wolverine. Yeah, from that. from that one. So oh. they they would probably be more apt to just like pull them out of the other reality, and then it's like, oh well, we've got this character that's already been established, and you can read that over in Exiles. So now all the heavy lifting's done. Mm. So that's at least how DC does it. So, oh uh, well, you, you, we'll we'll talk about that's another. Not series. a knock on DC. I'm just saying <laughs> that's how. We'll, DC we'll talk. We'll talk about another series later on too that that Marvel did that was uh, very interesting and different from a lot of other stuff uh, called Mutant X and revolved around Havoc. Oh, I have those. I, you know what? I have those. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just yeah, saying Bloodstorm is badass. It's, so. But it's always it's always interesting uh, watching watching yeah reading uh, X Men stories and what have you, and just seeing how much the the Summers boys um, really come to the crux of what the matters are, uh, and I always feel because Scott was always like the star pupil, he he just makes so much sense as the one to butt heads with Professor Charles Xavier. Um, even in, in a story like this, where it's very self-contained and very different from what we know, uh, Scott Summers is still the one to step up and say, like, no, uh, you, you're, 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 you're stepping over lines here, you're out of bounds, and we can't keep doing it like this. I mean, we saw very much that same kind of shit play out fairly recently in the comic books, and... I think for a lot of us, it was kind of it was kind of great to see because Scott Summers really deserved as a character to step out from you know Professor Professor X's shadow and really set himself as the leader of the X Men because you know that Charles goes back and forth too though Charles, yeah but Charles Xavier is just as as obsessive over his dream as Magneto and. That's something that wasn't really focused upon until the past like 10, maybe 15 years. But the difference is with Charles, Charles has the dream, but Cyclops lives the dream. Charles is still involved with all this underhanded bullshit that gets him to, you know, he has to get his hands dirty. Whereas like Cyclops doesn't have to. He can live that out. So Charles has like, oh, well, I secretly had this first team of X-Men that I sent off to their deaths at Krakoa. Oh, okay. So I've got these files from like Destiny and all that from these precogs that, you know, we have all this stuff going on that that can't happen. These prophecies, you know, like all of the, that stuff is like un, you know, underlying. Whereas like Cyclops is like, we're gonna help as many people we can, human or mutant, you know. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, he's actually living the fucking dream. Where you know Charles Xavier is just like trying to, you know, get these machinations to work. Fakes his death several times. You know, um, just puts his, his uh, you know, wards in charge of like, oh, here you go. Uh, Magneto's going to be your new master now. I'm going to go off to space. Okay. You know, it's well, like there's just like all these weird things with his history. And it's just when you look back at Charles Xavier, he's less of a villain here in this book than he is in the actual series. Like as you go forward, I including like even now, like with the stuff with Krakoa where he's like killing X-Men and bringing them back to life in some weird sort of MacGuffin thing. 
So it's it's so convoluted. X-Men like is so different than like any other book because it's like if you try to actually piece it together, it's like, but they just did that. Yeah, but now it's like this. So, oh. so it's, it's funny you mentioned that uh, about uh, Charles being more of a villain in, in uh, continuity. Uh, I have not read that much X-Men. And uh, what I have read for Splash Pages, um, in reading this, he was much less of a dick in this than yep. he has been in other stories. Which, Spot on, man. Yeah. Spot on. Like, yeah. like you get to the point at the end where he's like, I don't care about my ideals. I'm going to kill you and snap your neck. It's like, okay, that's the one time in here that you've even said anything like vaguely aggressive towards a mutant. You know, everything else is like, oh, it's okay. We're going to do this and all that. I'm the most powerful man in the world, but, you know, we're yeah. going to, you know, do this. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, early on he says, you know, uh, don't hurt them. They're just misguided, you know? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. It, and it makes sense. You know, um, in, in you, you also show kind of like your sycophant um, acolyte characters that always exhibit those. Mystique is always next to someone of power. Unis is always looking for that next chance. Like Age of Apocalypse, Unis is a central character in um, in Apocalypse's vanguard there. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a high-ranking officer. And you've got Blob. You've got Sauron. You know, these are uh, Toad, perfect example. They're all there. <laughs> Every single time they're going to be there next to the person that's going to get them what they want. And, um, you know, I mean, K. Marco is kind of like that sort of as well in the comics where it's like, He's just looking for like a, a buddy or a friend or something like that. And he doesn't care what they're doing. And that's that's how he got in trouble with Black Tom because Black Tom wanted to go rob banks and shit. So he's like, all right, well, you know, he's my friend. So let's go do it. <laughs> he's my friend. Let's why not? Yeah, that's a, that uh, 1970s logic for you, you know, but um, Juggernaut's a hedonist, too. It's like he's going to do what he wants when he wants to. So, you know, he doesn't take it to like that, like terrible, like, uh, you know, sort of. uh level where he's just going to like kill people and like drink wine out of their skulls and stuff like he could if he wanted but you know he's just like you know i want to go i want to go to tahiti so i'm going to do that and maybe that is because he's limited intelligence who knows <laughs> like it's like patrick you know from spongebob you know? <laughs> well you know it's it is interesting to note though i mean even even with the the longer history that we have um back and forth up and down peaks and valleys uh, between you know Scott Summers and, and Professor X, uh, the similarities between what we've seen go down and even in this one self-contained issue and how they regard one another when there's a difference of philosophy and approach, it's exactly the same. Isn't it awesome to watch Scott Summers brood? <laughs> oh, I mean, he's so good at it. Why the fuck not? He's just like, mm. <laughs> he's like, is this Rodan's thinker? No, it's Scott Summers. <laughs> What you doing, Scott? Brooding. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Scott's in his brooding chair. Leave Scotty alone. <laughs> and and they definitely left their kids like uh, with with Xavier too. So it's like I guess they kind of went into that again, where it's like, oh, Scott, maybe not the best of parents. It's like, yeah, he left his interdimensional daughter and his like two um, you know psychic children and all that. He just left them in the care of the Blob's daughter. <laughs> It's like, okay, are you ever coming back? No, you can't. Oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> are you ever coming back? Mm. <laughs> There's $20 on the fridge. Order pizza if you want. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, it, it's, um, it, was, it was really, really cool to see how Professor X, um, by way of the Ciderac gem, 
you know, kind of used both of those abilities, all of those abilities to completely like take over the planet. The One of the things that, that happens is like a, a full-blown, a second nuclear war. Because oh, yeah. uh, newsflash, in case anybody here doesn't realize it, we've actually already had a nuclear war on Earth. It was World War II. <laughs> when, when nuclear weapons are dropped, that's a nuclear war. Um, so what? they had a second nuclear war, a second atomic war. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just threw all kinds of radiation into the atmosphere. And he once again used his telepathy to combine some of the greatest minds and ideas and came up with um, these devices that he sent his, his leagues of mutants out with to scrub the atmosphere and environment of radiation. But in the amount of time that the radiation was in the atmosphere, it contributed to a huge uptick in mutant births. <laughs> and so the population of mutantism grew exponentially because of the humans trying to take the mutants out with atomic weapons. So they, they actually aided Xavier's cause in the long run. Um, but, you know, he, he, he was so utilitarian about what he was doing and it's frightening to think like, that if Charles Xavier could not physically be stopped, like this is something he would easily be capable of doing. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And um, there is another story in the Exiles, as we were talking about that, where uh, there's like an evil Xavier, and um, I mean he makes some moves there. So we'll we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, when we review those. And we oh, could almost do that in like story arcs. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we won't, we might not even cover the second series they did because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this overall, I found this to be just like a fun one-off um, and the fact that you can, like, they leave it to the point where, I mean, obviously the Juggernaut can't be killed, so he's just going out into space and we have Magneto making plans to, to you know, finally set himself up as Emperor of Earth. You could, like I said, you could headcanon this. You could continue this story oh, yeah. even. And and you could have like a, a planet Hulk situation eventually with the juggernaut. Oh yeah. And you could have a whole like kind of not idealized, not idyllic the way it was, but like you could have a realistic House of M type thing going on on Earth as well. You know, you could very easily see Magneto going down there and breaking it up into like mutant houses and shit like that. Um, I could see as well Juggernaut getting picked up by someone like Galactus and Galactus turning him into his own herald, you know, imbuing him with the uh, power cosmic because he's out there floating. He's going to hit something eventually because this is a huge universe. I feel like if Galactus found him, he might do that, but only after he stripped him of the Sidorak gem. I don't think he would stack the power cosmic on top of that. I don't know. He's made some wacky decisions before, so. Fair fair enough, fair (laughs) enough. But, yeah, like, I mean, I just, I like the idea of of the juggernaut floating off and landing, like hitting a fucking planet. Oh, he's going to. Yeah. Yeah. And, but when he ends up there, it's like the same kind of thing as like Sakaar, you know, he just ends up like, you know, being this fucking dope ass gladiator, but he's like, they don't have the fucking technology to get my ass off this planet. Like, and I mean, there's, there's the Kree, there's the scroll, there's the Shi'ar, there's like any number of these things. And I mean, this, this is like, 
you know, it's it's a huge universe. I'm sure it's going to take him years to get where he's going. If this were DC, he'd be picked up instantly and put in a science cell, you know, by like a, a Green Lantern yeah, or Green something. Lantern, yeah. Or they'd like <laughs> send him to Yasmalt or something, you know. <laughs> it's like, and then he would go insane, you know. Yeah, you send him to Yasmalt and then he ends up becoming the fucking head of the Red Lanterns. Good job, yeah. everyone. You're like, guess what? We just created a new friggin' Necron. Yeah. Yeah, we're the best at being the worst. Um, at the speed he's going, it's gonna take him I mean, well, you said years to get, you know, hit something. It's uh he's gonna be going years uh before he even leaves the solar system. I yes. would think that as the juggernaut, um, since he is still in motion and you've got was it your uh, object in motion tends to stay in motion until uh it, it uh, finds another object that something like that um and he doesn't have anything he's pushing off i wouldn't be surprised if he's gaining momentum well i mean there's no there's no resistance no friction in space so yeah well i yeah i mean as he passes objects you know the gravity will definitely that's true uh pull him and uh you know this is this is also what happened to um uh black adam i thought like he was sent like uh, five thousand years out like into space or something like so far out that it took him that long to come home oh really yeah, that's that's at least the story that they tell, where it's like he was uh, sent uh, by um, so know, that, the wizard or something. Is that like the reason why he wasn't on Earth for thousands of years? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely like a. I mean, relatively new. I don't know how new because before it was definitely not that. <laughs> that was possibly like um, that was from like the DC animated at, at very least, where they they talked about that. So okay. I don't know if that was from like the Jeff John series or anything along those lines, but like, I was going to say, it sounds like something that would have come from like JSA by, by Jeff John. Yeah, it, it definitely, definitely. It's not a bad thing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not knocking it. Just, you know, before that it was, it was just, he had been, um, he, he was Teth Adam and, uh, he, he kind of like came forth again because of the fucking scarab and yada, yada. yada. It was, it was like a bit more magical in, in nature about how he came back. I, I dig the whole like, you know, red herring uh, trick yeah. that they sent him it's on. Like, That's he's cool. not here. He'll be back in 5,000 years. Yeah. Leave a message at the beep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he comes back. He's like, who touched my send? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, but this uh, this this whole thing was was really cool, and uh, I find that some of these stories work best like with what this one did. It left you fairly open ended with with what occurred. You can kind of draw your own conclusions, and um, overall, that is the most fun of of what ifs. Like we all ask ourselves those questions, like what if this, what if that, and uh, you can bring this even further. So like we saw. The beginning of you know what if Professor X was the juggernaut? What what other what if could that possibly lead to? You know how how does that move forward? You know just just go nuts, choose your own adventure at that point. Yeah, and, infinite worlds with infinite possibilities. So and, yeah, and that's the fun thing about these one issue like self-contained stories. You know, you don't have to worry about convolution uh, with anything. Any any ideas that you come up with that spring forth from what you read, you're not wrong. And does this predate um, Hulk Future Imperfect? I believe it does. Because it, it, it kind of rings notes of that a little bit too, but um, it, you know, it's just like in, in how like uh, Xavier handled all of the, the heroes of the world, and then you get into like, like Hulk Future Imperfect, where like Hulk has, like the maestro has a trophy room filled with like 
things from heroes that are incredibly I know I love that scene yeah it's it's just one of those things where it's like the George Perez art it's like man did you guys like pick the best artist to do this Let me see here. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, this came out in 1990. Future Imperfect is 1992. Two. Yep. No kidding. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, both very large characters as well. Yes. Yeah. And incredibly intelligent. That's. I mean, like lethally intelligent, really. But uh, that's a that's a fun that's a fun little alternate reality take to uh, yeah I agree Future Imperfect that that is probably one of like the uh, the stories that's like a must read for like a comic book fan is like Hulk, Hulk Future Imperfect you you have to you have to experience it you have to digest the art you have to get everything behind it and just be like wow okay good let me devour that shit yeah it, it is it's it's excellent it really is um and it has Wolverine. <laughs> it's kind of in the manner of speaking yeah sure. yeah i mean the maestro is so shrewd in it and i mean it's you know now that you say it like i actually do see a lot of similarity between maestro and charles xavier and charles is way nicer oh he is he is yeah but, but there's still that that control you know what you can be nice but still be a complete megalomaniac and dictator, and they both were certainly that. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I say nice in terms of, like, he's personable and he doesn't want to just, like, crush people and kill them, but he's still subjugating them and making them live, like, like uh, just these terrible conditions. So it's yeah. like he's not he's not being fair. He's not being equitable. It's it's just not – like, they talked about, like, in detail, like, the the – the place that the Summers family lived with like the teak floors and the Renaissance tapestries that no normal human would be able to yeah. afford and stuff. It's like, Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't know teak, teak floors were that expensive, but that's good. Uh, teak, teak is expensive. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you've destroyed most of the world's forests, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. Ah, you guys remember Brazil, right? I'm sorry. You would probably know it as the radiation zone. <laughs> I'm like, the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Fun for the whole family, that one. You talk about an alternate world. We'll get into that sometime. Huh? Christ. Terry Gilliam presents, what if Professor Xavier was the juggernaut? I do not <laughs> want to see that. <laughs> Giant foot just... <laughs> but, uh... No, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad that you guys uh, seemingly enjoyed enjoyed this issue as well. Um, Definitely you know, tr- try to stick with with some of the winners <laughs> from these series. Uh, lesson lessons have been learned. <laughs> It's, it's definitely way better than than the first one that what was it Tom DeFalco wrote the uh, what if Spider-Man took over the yeah, or, uh, went it's it's way if, better than that. What if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? It, it, listen, it's vo- that was volume one of What If when it first started. It was only around for a, you know relatively few issues. Um, they they couldn't they didn't quite grasp how they were approaching it, and we we read that issue. And they tell half the original story before you even get to the point. Like they did, they just didn't think that the audience reading it was going to remember any of the things that they were talking about. So they over explained and it just makes it painful to read up until the point where something different happens. And in that one, like it was enjoyable enough. And it's, it's interesting to see like Steve Ditko do Jack Kirby artwork. You know, it, it, it's fun to see him draw the thing, you know, but when we start to get the differences in that, 
well, it was, the juice didn't necessarily feel like it was worth the squeeze. Well, Whereas they, they tried to tie in too many storylines with that one as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. And then um, they, they try to tie something up, and they're like, and then the uh, the chameleon never became a villain. It's like, oh, okay. So his motivation was only that he was going to try and be Spider-Man, I guess? Apparently. You know, but, so... But by the time they got to Volume 2 when they restarted it in, like, 1989, they had a clear idea of how antho- anthological they wanted to make it. Um, and Uatu had a much clearer role at the beginning, maybe middle, and then definitely end of, of each issue. Uh, it felt more episodic, which, which is good. You know, you didn't, you didn't have to worry about anything connecting, um, and you didn't get an over-explanation like I had mentioned previously. They gave you, like, the briefest synopsis in the, in the second volume issues where you would get, like, a few panels where Uatu says, like, in the reality, you know, this happened. Mm-hmm. But here, this is what happened. And then you go forward. It's like it, it, it's so fast and quick and satisfying to have that brief synopsis of what we know it occurred that we can get right into the story that we're there to, you know, to, to, to read anyway. Uh, I don't I don't need to, to get all up to the point where, you know, Peter Parker fucking has his, uh, what is it, uh, flapjack breakfast and... But it was wheat cake breakfast. Wheat cakes. Wheat cake <laughs> breakfast, and is maybe running a little late to the fucking science field trip, and so instead of him getting bit by the spider, it's Flash Thompson. Like, listen, just get me to the point where they're both like they just start yeah. off in the fucking science exhibit, and then I just see Flash get bit instead of Peter Parker. We don't need the entire morning before that point. Volume one would have given us all of that. Volume two is like. Listen, stupid. We know that you know. So here's the different thing. Enjoy. Like succinct to the point. Not to mention the artwork improved dramatically. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, like the art's not bad in the other ones. It's just not as refined for sure. No, no. Like I said, I mean, you you still got like Ditko doing like the first issue and shit. You know, like that's cool, man. But you know, Jim Lee did the cover of the one that we we just read. And yeah. You know, like like you said, it's, and it, it's, it's a, good, Jim Lee too. It's not like like he just took a stamp of like the last time he drew Superman and put it on something. You know, it's like this is like good artwork. Yeah, none of it felt by rote. Uh, yeah, you know, it was he 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 really took care of that. And um, what's what's impressive about what he did with that cover, like I said before, is it's clearly an X Men team, but the Juggernaut is the thing that's really off about it. Never mind, like slightly different costumes. Why the juggernaut with them instead of like you know coming with instead of going against, and uh, that's that's visually intriguing to go right along with the question that it's posing. Uh, I think they I think that Kurt Busiek did a really good job of exploring uh, a, a, certainly a, a facet of what it would be like if this yeah. had occurred. Uh, I I, w- I would have I I honestly would read like a, a four parter about like what happens from this. You know what I mean. That that would be cool. I, I would I would dig on that. And and now that I've said it out loud, Marvel's probably going to do it in like two years. Yeah, that's that's how it works. So. Yeah, yeah. Didn't There's you nothing hear that's, that, the sun. Well, that's that's what the next What If series is about, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, they keep they they keep going back to certain things that when we look look back years ago, it's like you think about it then. It's like, well, they would never do this. That's insane. And you see some of the shit that's happened in comics in the past like twenty years. You're like, oh well. Maybe some of that stuff wasn't so far fetched, was it, gang? You know, 
I yeah, mean, I'm, again, you're not wrong. So Alan Moore wrote, you know, a whole treatment for a story arc called Twilight of the Gods. It's going to be all about, you know, de- deconstructing the the DC superheroes, like big time shit. And they decided not to go with it. Well, guess what? DC's getting ready to fucking do. Twilight of the Gods. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing too. How many times do they touch Watchmen? You know, and not every time is it bad, though, I'll say as well. So that's that's the whole thing, too, because like before Watchmen, the amount of talent that they put into that, it's like, OK, we don't have Alan Moore, but we have Darwin Cook, J. Michael Straczynski, um, you know, Adam Hughes on art. It's like, uh, OK, um, well, who, who else could we get? How about Joe Kubert? What Joe Kubert? Who else? Uh, Pearl Jam, uh, old man fashioning canoe. You know, it's <laughs> like it, it's like. So, so it's not always oh, like. Did you know that Eddie Vedder inked this? <laughs> <laughs> I could tell because everybody's grinting their teeth. <laughs> My God, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of of Before Watchmen. I liked some parts of it more than others. Um, but uh, you know, all I'm getting at, all I'm getting at is like with some of the stuff that was considered to be like too far or overwrought back in the day uh we've seen so much play out in so many of the series from both sides uh marvel and dc the big two mm-hmm. that it's just like you know if any of you assholes have been even remotely forward thinking when some of these creatives came at you with these pitches you would have been fucking light years ahead of the curve you know i i still i still you know i've mentioned this before i still get a huge kick out of the fact that mark gruenwald pitched the squadron supreme story that he did as a justice league of america story and dc comics looked at him and they straight up were like are you out of your fucking mind get the fuck out of here no fucking way and he was just like oh i'll just go to marvel and kind of change the designs and names a little bit and they fucking ate it right up and it's seriously like one of the best stories out there and it's clearly a Justice League of America pastiche. And it was too much for, for DC to commit to because how how could you show the Justice League of America in such a light? But then get to Kingdom Come. And yes, it was an Elseworlds when it first came out. It still is an Elseworlds. Yep. But it was so insanely popular and done so well that DC actually started shifting everything to maybe kind of be the future... <laughs> that we see in Kingdom Come, you know, like, but 20 and we years, have convergence. Yeah, but twenty years before, fifteen years before that, no fucking way, man. Squeaky clean. We got. We can't do shit like that. We can't get that dark or anything. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not all for like just adding grit and, and what have you. But you know, these alternate takes that we see, they can inform a lot of the cool stuff that you see later on or even currently. You know, mm-hmm. so. Jumping back and, and looking at some of these older stories, it, it, we might come across a couple of questions that are posed that have actually been answered fully in in you know the actual reality of these comics that we read regularly. So, you know, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that, and and that's always that's always fun. At least for me, I, I can't speak for you guys. <laughs> well, well, Juggernaut does become an X Men eventually. You know, he he becomes a member of Excalibur, and um, the next time that we're going to see him in an alternate universe is going to be Age of Apocalypse in nineteen ninety five ninety six, where he just goes by Kane Marco, and he's in the Excalibur or the uh, uh, Gambit and the Externals team is actually who where he is. One of the one of the one of the great things about uh the Kane Marco character, the Marco character in uh ninety five, ninety six Age of Apocalypse, 
is um he is very much the same guy has Ciderac gem large and in charge uh, he's very quiet and not to not to get too into it but what we've talked about uh, insofar as his relationship with Charles Xavier that we saw in this comic and how it it originated in the 616 uh, we know there was always like some competition a little bit of resentment uh, especially on his side we get to see exactly how important his relationship with his stepbrother is in Age of Apocalypse. And it really, it, it painted a, a new side of Marco that um, previously we probably had never given too much thought to uh, and how Charles's presence um, makes a huge difference for, for Kane. You know, just, Even though he he pretends not to like him and all that, it's it's very much like uh, the movie versions of Loki and Thor. It seems like where there's yeah. that competition and and stuff like that. But it's like at the end, there's some underlying, at very least, respect. Yeah, and you just you just see how you know in Age of Apocalypse the the absence of Charles uh, affects Kane Marco, it, it, and it's it's powerful stuff. It it really is. Um, oh, yeah, I can't but, wait to do that one. That's gonna be fun. So yeah. But um, but yeah. So anyway, in, in closing for this though, uh, just really interesting to see what can be done with the power of the Ciderac gem, depending on who the person is, whether or not they have inherent abilities or just uh, you know, is a, a kind of a brash dickhead. You know, we're looking at K. Marco versus <laughs> Charles yeah. Xavier. Um, you know, you you can ask that question of any number of characters. You could probably find a whole different slew of combinations that would make for some very interesting and compelling story points. Um, and, you know, feel free to bust out a pencil and piece of paper and write your own game. <laughs> but uh, I hope, I hope everybody uh, that was listening and watching that, that you enjoyed the story. Um, you know, if you haven't read it previously, you know, please do so, especially after listening to us talk about it. I think, I think you'll, you'll really be able to appreciate it for, for what it is altogether. Uh, and you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna power through to the next one. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what, what the, uh, what the comic we're going to cover is just yet. We will wait until that day and it's more fun. Um, but thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, and I would just like to, uh, say before we go, thank you once again to Leo Pond what? from the Dorking Network <laughs> and Justin Cooper from Geek Life HQ and, like a whole bunch of other shit that I just don't have a list. <laughs> epic tales from the sewers. That's that's the uh, epic, okay. There, epic tales from the sewers. <laughs> yep. Um, and you know, from 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 me, uh, powerful Brandon uh, here, at comics paradox. Uh, thank you all once again for for tuning in, and uh, we will see you all next week with a fun new far fetched alternate tale. Yeah.